Is homeschooling right for you and your aviation lifestyle? How does your pilot fit into it? Wow, today's show is packed full of amazing information so that you can begin to uh, learn more about the potential of homeschooling if it's something you're exploring, learn more if you're already knee deep into it, and also learn more about Amy's experience with a young child with a brain injury, with her, her Army helicopter pilot husband who had a neck injury and ultimately went through to commercial aviation. There's so much packed into today's show. I can't wait for you to hear it and also listen into the part on conscious language. Welcome to the Pilot Wife Podcast, your ongoing checklist for navigating your best life as a pilot wife and aviation family. I'm your co-captain, Jackie Elmer. I've been a pilot wife for over three decades and can't imagine any other lifestyle. On the show, you'll hear stories, experiences, tips, advice, interviews with other pilot wives, pilots, aviation professionals, non-revving and travel experts also on this journey. Yes, it's a mixed bag of goods, but what life isn't? I'm here to bring you the best that the aviation life has to offer. If you have a topic suggestion, a story to share on the show, details are at the end. And if you want the Pilot Wife Survival Guide and Checklist, go to pilotwifechecklist.com. Now, stow your baggage, strap in, and let's unpack the Pilot Wife life. Well, thank you everyone for being here today. And I'm super excited to bring our guest expert on to talk to you a little bit about homeschooling. As I mentioned in the introduction, you may be already well on your way as a homeschooler. You may be thinking about that and thinking, wow, what are my options and how cool it might be to be an aviation family homeschooling. So today I am welcoming onto the show, Amy Leck, and she's been a public school teacher for 13 years and a homeschooling mom for over six years. Her husband, Pilot, was first an Army helicopter, and then he transitioned to the airlines. And together, they have a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old daughter. So, Amy, I'm going to turn it over to you. Share First of all, thank you for being on the show. And share a little bit with us about your background. Tell us your story. So, my husband, Tony, he is flying with Envoy right now. But we were actually middle school sweethearts. So we have been together for over 23 years. Um, 9-11 caused him to give up his full ride scholarships to MIT and join the army. Wow. And yeah. And then um, after infantry for a couple of years, he realized that that wasn't a challenge enough. And that was when he realized that his childhood dream of being a pilot could actually be realized with the army because the army had helicopters, which he had no idea. So that was whenever we went to flight school with the army for a couple of years. And then we were stationed in Fort Hood, Texas for seven years. And he went through three deployments. And in one of those deployments, he had combat injury. He actually broke his neck while flying and they didn't realize it for about six months. So he was walking around with it for quite a while in extreme pain. And that was during the Obama administration when they were doing the drawdown phase. So once they figured out the severity of his injuries, they're like, okay, you're medically retired. Goodbye. They didn't give him a last flight. He didn't get to say goodbye to his unit. Like he, it was just heartbreaking for him because he loves flying so much. So, um, while he was recovering, we actually, I convinced him to become a teacher too. And we moved our family to Mexico city, Mexico, Mexico, um, to teach for a bilingual school. And so while we were there, um, our youngest daughter was five and our oldest was seven at the time. And our five-year-old had two head injuries within six months of each other. And one was just a concussion and stitches on one side. But then the second one was two inch fracture across and two inch fracture down. And she had a lot of brain swelling and we were in the hospital for a week in Mexico city without speaking Spanish, trying to figure on, figure out what was going on with our daughter, trying to figure my life. Even when we found out about my husband's injuries, it wasn't as scary as going through that with my little baby five-year-old. Um, so I put in his job application for him to teach aviation at Irving High School, and they called him within two days for a phone interview, and then they offered him the job two days after that. 
And so we packed everything up from Mexico City and moved to DFW. And he was at Irving High for about five years before he, um, through all of his contacts, he kept getting a lot of the CEOs that would come in for guest speaker positions. They would ask him, when are you going to go to airlines? When are you going to go to airlines? When are you going to go to airlines? And um, I don't know how many of you guys out there have helicopter spouses versus mainline spouses and airplanes. It's two totally different worlds. And so my husband was a little bit of a snob and thought that helicopters were better than airplanes. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) (laughs) But he missed flying so much. He wanted to be back in the air. He wanted to be back up there, even if it wasn't as much of a challenge as flying a helicopter flying missions and, you know, all of that stuff. He still wanted to get back into, um, into something in the sky. So he did the helicopter to airplane transition course for a couple of months and was hired by Envoy. And he's been at Envoy for four five years, something like that. Um, that first year after we returned from Mexico city, I was still teaching public school and it was the worst year teaching of my life. Just too much discipline problems in the classroom. Um, The amount of time that I was actually teaching my students was maybe 10 minutes out of a 45 minute period. It was not good for the students. It wasn't good for me. And then at the same time, I was still trying to figure out my youngest daughter who had turned six by this point, trying to figure out all her issues. And she would come home from school every day um, complaining about how it was the worst day ever. She hated her, herself because she couldn't do what the other kids were doing and she didn't know why. She was constantly getting in trouble. Um, in Texas schools, we have a color chart system. So green is good, yellow, you have a warning and red, you're bad for the day or whatever. So she was coming home on red all the time. And before her head injury, she never had a color change. Like she's the sweetest kid. And I knew that something was up, but I could not figure out what it was until the pre-Christmas mid-year parent-teacher conference. And her head injury in Mexico happened in May. And then we enrolled her in this public school in August with the MRIs, with the fractures, pictures showing the school And with the doctor's notes saying that she can't go to PE and she can't go to recess because if a ball hits while that skull is trying to grow and and fuse back together, it's going to cause major issues, even more than what she was already facing just as a regular traumatic brain injury. So I had worked out when we first enrolled her at the school for her to go to the art classroom and clean. She's, She's very much a neat freak. Or she could go to the library and organize books because she is very much an organized, everything has to be in its place. And at that mid-year conference, I realized that she was not doing that. She was sitting on the wall at recess with all the other bad kids who had gotten in trouble. At PE, everybody else would get to play games and she would be sitting on the wall with all the other bad kids. I mean, as a parent, we know there are no bad kids, you know. But that's what she had internalized is that she must be a bad kid because she's hanging out with all these other kids who don't listen. And also at that mid-parent conference, they said that um, she didn't listen. Like they would be walking in the hallways and she would just stop in the middle of the line on the way to the cafeteria or wherever. And she would just stop and the teachers would try to get her to keep walking and she would just she would just stand there. And they couldn't figure out what was going on. And then in the classroom, she was also in the classroom with um, some special ed students, even though it was a regular inclusive class, they try to include them, which is why it's called inclusive classes. But one of them was a screamer. And part of her traumatic brain injury triggered sensory processing disorder, which at that time we had no idea what these long-term effects were. So anytime there would be a loud noise, or that those other kids would start screaming, she would just tense up and she would go into fight or flight mode and she would hide under her desk. And so of course, if she's in the middle of a panic attack, she's not gonna be able to listen to a teacher when a teacher says, keep walking in a line or get out from under your desk and sit at your desk and read. Of course, she's not gonna listen because she can't comprehend what's going on. She's just in panic mode. And it wasn't until 
one year post-injury that I pulled them both from public school and started homeschooling them the same year that I got my job teaching high school online, which I still do. So it is possible to work full time and homeschool your children. Um, but tell, it wasn't tell me again how how old they were when we started homeschooling and, my, and you were working. Yeah, my youngest had just turned seven. Okay, and my oldest had just was about to turn nine or ten. Okay, very good. Because yeah. that'll be helpful, I think. Yeah. So when we pulled them, they had just finished first and third grades, and the third grader is gifted and talented, but she also has OCD and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So third grade in Texas is the first year that they do standardized testing. And she was having major anxiety attacks over her standardized test. I have to pass this reading test. And she's, she's a wonderful reader. Like she is above grade level reader, but she was still having all of this anxiety as a third grader. And so that's why we decided to pull both of them and not just the younger, because at that point, we had moved three times in three years. They were tired of a new school. They were and trying to get to know friends and doing all this stuff. They were just exhausted. And it was that first year homeschooling that I was able to see that the youngest was having these panic attacks that were three to five times a day. Each one would last about an hour long. And she would just rock herself back and forth, crying, saying, I don't know what's going on. Her eyes would flit like this. And I knew she couldn't see me. And so I just wrapped her up in my arms and held her while she panicked until she was able to cry herself to sleep. And this was happening three or five times a day. Okay. So I have to stop you here. Wow. Yeah, I'm oh. going to get emotional. So please. Stop I, I know <laughs> I am too. I'm feeling extremely emotional. I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm certainly thinking about you, but I'm thinking how fortunate that you're so dialed in and we're there and being able to be aware of it. And so that kind of leads me to my question. How do parents stay involved? Like what are the signs to look for? Because let's face it, public education is not right for everybody. Um, and I'm not going to go down the bashing lane of it, but you know, the reality of it <laughs> yeah. is it is not right for everybody. And even if you choose to homeschool just for your love of that and the flexibility and the freedom, there are certainly those instances much like yours where you realize, you know, improper labeling, which I can't stand labels but that's again, my own opinion of any kind. Um, but you know, just the, those things where you can see where this could potentially take your child from the thriving, healthy, happy being that they are down a dark road that could lead to a lot of other things. So what, what would you suggest that parents be aware of and just begin watching for? Um, I have two examples of, of what worked for us. So for the first one, um, when my youngest Sophie, um, that first year homeschooling, we focused a lot on, um, fun projects, hands-on learning, you know, going outside a lot because going outside and walking barefoot and grounding is, is really good for resetting your emotional state, you know, things like that did a bunch of research into, holistic health and essential oils and, you know, all of these supplements that could help with her brain function. And, um, one thing that we noticed, and this wasn't until after a full year of homeschooling. So this was two, two and a half in years post injury. So by this time she's seven, seven and a half. And I could, she loves to clean, like I said. And so I could get her to do the dishes. She loved doing the dishes, would spend an hour and a half doing the dishes, just playing and singing and scrubbing. And, you know, she's just this awesome little kid, but she would never touch knives, not even a butter knife. And so we had to set those on the counter aside and she could be sitting right next to the sink with a, a stack of knives next to her and she would be perfectly fine, but she would not put them in the dishwasher. She would not touch them, not even a butter knife, which is safe for a seven-year-old, you know, and we could not figure it out until two and a half years post-injury when she finally came to me and she said, mom, the reason I don't want to touch the knives is because the knives make me want to use them on myself. Oh, Wow. At, how old was she? She was seven when she wow. said this. Ooh. So with my experience as a teacher, very familiar with middle school kids and their 
it seems to be like an epidemic of them cutting themselves. Like that seems to be what they did whenever I was in brick and mortar and um, aware of those signs as a teacher of what to look for and what to ask and to realize that I completely missed it with my own daughter for two years of why she had this avoidance to this one object. So it's, as a parent, I recommend that you pay attention to these things. If your kid says that they don't want to do something, we'll step back and don't make it a power play on you're going to do this because I say you're going to do this. Figure out why they don't want to do it. Figure out why are they avoiding this specific thing. Um, another example during those two years, um, both of my girls were all foodies. Like we love food. And we will eat all the time. Like the great thing about homeschool is you can have breakfast, first lunch, second lunch, snack, and then dinner. Love it. <laughs> I'm and a foodie so, too. Yeah. I mean, we love food and it's never been a problem getting them to try new things. But after her head injury, she just developed this gag reflex to different textures of food. And we didn't realize what was going on. And my husband, um, being former military, you know, it's my way or the highway kind of attitude. Sometimes, um, we were sitting at dinner and I made meatloaf and he's like, you're not going to get up until you taste the meatloaf. Like that's our, always been our thing is you've got to at least try one bite, you know? And so she, she took like the tiniest of bites and she's like, nope, 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 nope. And he's like, that was not a bite. You've got to actually take a full bite and swallow it and like to get all the flavors. And she's like, I can't. And she ended up in tears. She took a full bite. Then she gagged and ran to the trash can to throw up in the trash can. And that was sort of like my next aha moment of what else am I missing? Like, this is not normal behavior for any child, much less to my child who, who, who doesn't, throw fits. Like she, she, she's never acted like this before. So that started us on a journey of, even though we despise labels, like don't agree with them. Um, I needed the labels because the label was going to tell me where her brain was so that then I could use all of these natural solutions or try to use these natural solutions to help her the most. So now that we have these labels of sensory processing disorder, or ADHD, or, you know, learning disability in math, which is a new label for her. And it took us six years of observing and watching and seeing that she wasn't like things weren't clicking with math in her brain before we were able to add this other label to her. But now that we have those, we have a point like a jumping off point. So with sensory processing, I now know that I need to um, look at sounds so we live in DFW and she's stressed all the time. But whenever we go to my parents' house in Arkansas, which is on 60 acres, she's the happiest kid. She's outside all the time. She wants to run and play. So that tells me part of her sound sensory issues is she needs to be in the country. So that leads us to start looking for land outside of DFW so that we can build a house and she can run and play and not be around all these sirens and all this noise and the trains and like all of these external factors that impact her a lot. And so it's a lot of those little things that it's connecting the dots that you normally wouldn't connect because as a, whenever I was teaching brick and mortar, you're out the door by 7 a.m. You're not coming home until 4 or 5 p.m. You have maybe an hour, two hours with your kids before bedtime. That's not a lot of time to see what's going on in their life to connect these dots because you're not even aware that there are dots to connect. And so when you start homeschooling, it's like this whole other world opens up with your kid because you're able to see these things that you had no idea existed beforehand. Wow. Okay. So back to the labels and I, I loved what you shared there. So yeah, we don't like labels, but it's important to have labels so that you can better understand a problem. So the question that came to my mind around that is, and especially with the seven-year-old, um, at what point do you 
even let them hear that label or talk to them about it. And the reason I'm asking that is because this is much lighter, but um, my son from the time he was three said, mommy, don't ever put me in a school where I have to sit in a desk. And I remember looking at my husband thinking, what the heck, how does he even know this? Right. So we ended up putting him in a Montessori school, which I was already a fan of and had been researching all that to say, and they don't really, you know, the, I won't get into all that, but it's structured a little differently. You don't really sit down and take standard tests, et cetera. Well, ultimately we ended up relocating and he ended up in a public school because we had no options. We were in a really small town. Um, And I remember one of his teachers at parent teacher conference saying he doesn't really test well. And that became, and I just wasn't smart enough, aware enough or whatever, but I would speak that into existence and say that around him for a long, long time. Um, And then he started saying it himself too. And darn if he didn't live up to that. Right. And it's so funny. The funny thing about it is he graduated with honors from high school, which we kind of laughed about. And then he had to take a test to get into community college because he was going to go to community college and go through a fire science academy that was there. He tested, he had to take remedial math and English. And we were like, how does the kid graduate with honors from high school? And it was so funny, but forever, and I don't feel guilty about it anymore. He's thriving, doing great. He's in the Marine Corps, um, doing extremely well. But for the longest time, I carried a lot of guilt about that thinking. I created that by constantly saying in an innocent way, he doesn't test well. Now, to me, that wasn't saying he's dumb or he's not smart or he doesn't learn well or whatever. He just didn't test well. Anyway, so that's my reason for asking. So share with us like that whole thought process behind at what point do you let them know that? Because I think it's probably important to communicate with them. This is why certain things are happening for you to help them internalize it. But what about the label? Yeah. So I did a lot of research on conscious language. Have you heard of conscious language? No, but I'm fascinated. Okay, It's fascinating. Go to YouTube, search conscious language. Um, I think there's a woman named like Sandra Swan or, or some, something Swan. And it's really good, but she talks about the power of your words. And I don't know what the religious affiliation is of anybody on here, but um, it, it's biblical. Like your words have power. You have the life of life and death and the power of the tongue and everything like that. So, um, when we would talk about my youngest daughter and her head injuries, I would tell people within her hearing, like, this is what happened to us. But I always ended with something that helped her internalize that she's not like that anymore. So at the end of giving our testimony or telling somebody about her head injuries, I would always say, so um, from February to May, we started using an essential oil called stress away. And in that three month window, she stopped having panic attacks. In the month of May, she had one panic attack that lasted 10 minutes. She didn't cry. There were no tears. And she's had maybe a handful in the five years since then. And so it's changing that language. Yes, this is where we were, but this is where we are now. She's so much better. Like things are amazing now. And so I always show both sides of the coin and, um, the, like we were talking about adding the label with the learning disability in math. Um, that's new. So this semester we had them both formally tested with a psychologist service that does that. And that was when the oldest was officially diagnosed with anxiety. Turns out she's also got um, OCD on top of that, which makes us so much sense. And then the youngest, that learning disability in math was something that we weren't even tracking. Like, yeah, we knew she struggled, but we didn't know how, how much she was struggling in math. We knew about her being her with the depression and the suicidal thoughts and the anxiety and the panic attacks. We knew about those. We had knew about the sensory processing. We had a feeling she was ADHD, but the ones that she already knew about, that's all we told her when we got the diagnosis. So um, we were talking with her cousin a couple of weeks ago and her cousin is severely dyslexic. 
and we were talking about audiobooks because we, when we travel, we always listen to audiobooks and we have like a family book club where we all listen to the same audiobook or the girls read the physical version, whichever one. And then we meet once a month to talk about the book that we're reading. And so her cousin wants to join our family book club and audio read with us because she struggled so much with dyslexia that she doesn't get to experience those stories the way her peers and their, their other friends do. And so that as a teacher and a mom just like melts my heart and I'm like so excited. And so we were talking about her cousin and I'm like, look, Lainey just struggles with reading the way you struggle with math. And she looked at, Sophie looked at me and she said, I struggle with math. And like, uh, that was my, yes, I have not like instilled that idea in her that she can't do it or that fixed mindset of, well, I'm not even going to try in math because I am no good at it. Like that's a fixed mindset. And so we really focus a lot on conscious language and a growth mindset of, well, it took you a long time to master multiplication, but you're so much better now. Like, that's all I'm saying is how Lainey struggles. Like she struggles with reading and putting sounds together, but she's so much better than she used to be just like you are with math. And so it's like very, being very aware of how you're speaking and saying things. And, and I'm okay with holding some of that back from them. Mm -hmm. And there will be a day and a time whenever I explain to her, yeah, you, this is what you have. Like, this is what the doctors diagnosed you with, but that doesn't mean that you have to stay there. It doesn't mean that you have to accept that you can grow. Everybody can grow regardless of what label you've been placed, has been placed on you, regardless of what doctor's diagnosis has been placed on you. And sometimes you share that with the kid and sometimes you just hold it back so that they don't use that as a crutch. Hey, Aviator, the Pilot Wife podcast is brought to you by PeakPerformanceForLife.com, the app that helps you create a vision for your life and the action steps to set, track, and achieve your goals in the seven key areas of life, which are faith, family, field, finance, fitness, friends, and fun. Learn more at PeakPerformanceForLife.com and welcome peace, joy, and harmony in your successful life. Yeah, that, I, that's so good. And I have heard of the conscious language, but I don't think I ever heard that term, but I am going to go Google it. And I encourage if you're listening to go do that too, not just for your children, but for your spouse, for yourself, your own self-talk, all of that. But I did, I was taking a course, this was a long time ago. And a lot of it was just really about brain reprogramming and getting rid of those limiting beliefs. And, and I remember um, the, the one that always sticks out for me that they kept saying was, um, I'm shy and I'm learning tools every day that I get better. I'm learning ways that I can talk to people and not be so shy. And, and I remember hearing that and thinking, yeah, that's just reprogramming your brain that that's a limiting belief that you don't have to hold on to that you're shy or that it has to hold you back or any of that. And then just quickly about just a quick, another little story about my son and overcoming that he's 29 now. So he's not a kid anymore. And he just literally completed uh, back in October, his um, EOD tech training, which is the, which is explosive ordnance disposal unit. <laughs> I always have to think about that hurt locker, but that always sounds so dramatic. And I don't like to share that because that brings up a, again, it's like conscious languaging. Right. Um, but it was funny because they say it's the second toughest school in the Marine Corps and, and the military in general, it's not just Marine Corps, as you probably know, and it's a nine month course and it's testing, testing, testing. And I remember sitting down with him before he went into it. And he's married with a child now, but I, but a little of that limiting belief that I've planted in him when he tests has really stuck with me. Now, the interesting thing is he was his battalion leader in his, I mean, he, he graduated, he was the honor guard or whatever it's called with his dress blues and everything through boot camp. So I knew that he had basically overcome that ability and, and was able to do all that. But I remember talking to him about a month before he went into training. I was like, okay, now you remember that that's not really true. You are a great tester. You can take good tests. And I mean, we, now we can laugh about it and he's older and we look back on all of that. And he's even said, mom, part of me just defaulted to that. Cause I hated testing. I thought it was just stupid. So anyway, just to, you know, they, they can move on beyond that. I thought I would share Yes, that. absolutely. 
<laughs> but it's just kind of funny because it did like it's haunted me for a long time, you know, kind of that thing. Like, what did I program in his mind? So mm-hmm. that is such great stuff. Wow. I'm so glad that we went through your story and shared a lot of that because I think those are going to be some really powerful tools to, again, as a person evaluates, is homeschooling right for me? Is my child giving me a signal that public school isn't working or private school or wherever they are to look at these other options? So talk to us a little bit about, let's talk about the stages and phases of homeschooling, starting with elementary school, because that's a big question people have. And I know for me too, it's like, what does that look like? Yeah. So when we first started homeschooling, they were in elementary school. And so um, with elementary, you can actually combine um, science and history. So if you have multiple kids of uh, across elementary grades, and even if you have kids in elementary and kids in middle school, and you want to pull them both to homeschool, you can actually use the same curriculum for science and history, and they can both learn the same thing. It's just what they're telling you back for oral presentations or what they're creating to show knowledge of learning is completely different. So with an elementary school kid, you may say, okay, here's um, a bunch of Play-Doh. I want you to create the Nile River and show me what was around the Nile River. Whereas with a middle schooler, you can still give them the Play-Doh, but you're going to say, okay, here's note cards, three by five note cards. I want you to label what you're doing, what, where things are on the Nile river in like a one sentence explanation of why that was important. So why was the farming important? What were the temples for? Like, tell me a little bit about the society and the structure of the country around the Nile river in Egypt. And so that is an excellent example of how you can make it work for multiple grade levels. But for elementary, you really want to focus on those hands-on things like the Play-Doh. If you are doing spelling, you can have get them like a cookie sheet with flour and have them spell their spelling words in the flour. And so it's little things like that. And, and you can give them a word and they're sitting on the kitchen table with a thing of flour while you're cooking dinner or, you know, something like that. And then um, with the pilot life style, um, If you have a spouse who, when he is home, loves to go do things because it's his weekend and he's home four days a week, well, then you just do all your schoolwork with your kids during those three days. And then when dad's home, they they can spend that quality time with him. Like you don't have to worry about trying to fit. Okay, it's a school day from Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. You have to sit down at the kitchen table with this workbook and do this. No, homeschooling is whatever it needs to be for your family and your family's lifestyle. And that's the beauty of it is that you can it's not trying to take your child and make a one size fits all curriculum or stick them in a square workbook when your family lifestyle may be shaped like a heart or a triangle or a circle, like you create your homeschool program and your curriculum based around your lifestyle, your kids learning styles, which is a big deal. And then your homeschool methods. So those are three different things that you want to look at whenever you start homeschooling. And then kids elementary age needs lots of hands-on regardless of their learning style. And so it's taking those small breaks. And then a good point of reference is your kid's attention span is roughly how old they are. So if you have a seven-year-old, the attention span is roughly seven minutes. But after you reach adulthood, the average attention span of an adult never exceeds more than 25 minutes. That's why we have TV shows that are roughly half hour long with commercial breaks interspersed to keep an adult's attention. So keep that in mind when you decide, if you decide to homeschool, no matter the age group, like your elementary age kid is, if you have a five-year-old, they're not going to sit in a desk for an hour, which is where a lot of public schools fail our kids. Well, that's interesting because we're at 30 minutes right now and we're still going. So anybody listening, you're going to have to let us know if you had to break this up and listen to it in two parts. 
you might have noticed my attention waning like about seven minutes ago when I'm like, oh, I really need to go get a drink of water. Maybe I'll text my kid and see if they can bring me a, a cup of water. And now I'm focused again. Like I'm good. <laughs> That's really interesting. I'm going to pay attention to that. And the other cool thing, I think uh, it's kind of funny. Just yesterday, I met a girlfriend of mine for coffee who we met through the business world and then found out we both had an aviation background and she homeschooled her kids. And we were just chatting again. Her, they're way older now. Um, but she was talking to, and I told her that I was going to be talking to you today and all, you know, told her about the podcast and all that kind of stuff. And she was just saying how cool it was. Like if they were studying the ocean or seashells or anything, like they just jet off to San Diego or go, or go, go to the Oregon coast or whatever. Like they, she really worked hard to incorporate all that kind of stuff. And I thought, man, there's no better learning, you know, really. And truly, I mean, I, I remember taking both of my kids to DC on their fifth grade Washington, D.C. that you could do. And I, of course, wanted to go worse than they did because I love to travel and I love D.C. But even, you know, they will tell you stuff about that, like the what was instilled in them from just being there and experiencing that far exceeded, you know, nine months of book study on the whole thing. So it is mm -hmm. cool with the aviation lifestyle that you can yeah. incorporate all that. Absolutely. We and did you know, it like here with the with the pilot, you know, bringing them into it. And I know we'll get to that. So I don't want to I don't want to jump the gun yeah. on that but um, we will come into that. So talk, you mentioned methods and styles of learning and being aware of that. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So with homeschool methods, the Montessori is actually a method. So you can actually do the Montessori method um, with homeschooling. Charlotte Mason is a reading based programs, they use a lot of living books. So instead of dry textbooks, you're reading biographies and you're reading short books, but with a lot of content that you can then connect the dots. And so there's a lot of really good Charlotte Mason programs out there with you have strong readers. Um, you can also have, um, there's Reggio, which is similar to um, the Jefferson method, which is hands-on, but then you also have classical. Classical is a big method, and so you'll see a lot of private schools or hybrid programs use the classical method. A lot of co-ops use the classical method, um, and so there's, there's a lot of different methods, and that goes back to not having a square fit into a round hole kind of thing. So like with my oldest daughter, she is very visual. She is an artist, she is an anime artist. She is very visual. So when looking at curriculums, I want to find a method that has a lot of visuals. It may have videos because we are raising the YouTube generation. And so there may be short animated videos. That's what works for her. For my youngest daughter, she loves videos, but she is not going to sit there and watch a video. She has to do something as she is listening to it. So audiobooks are really great because she's got those fidget spinners and she's she's in the slime stage. So she's got slime and kinetic sand and you know all these hands-on things while she's listening to it tell her a story. That's why audiobooks are so good for her. And you can find audio transcripts and things like that. And so if I wanted to find a curriculum that worked for both of them. I would find the short videos that she, my youngest could listen to while she's doing something else. And so that is a way that you can merge the, the methods with the learning styles, because there's three primary learning styles. That's visual, auditory, and then kinesthetic hands-on stuff. But you also have... Um, like think about it on a color wheel, like you have your primary colors and then you have your secondary colors, which there's more secondary colors than your primary colors. So you have your three learning styles of audio, visual and kinesthetic, but then you've got all these mixtures going around them. And so you also have interpersonal and intrapersonal. Interpersonal means your kid has to teach it and, and interact with other people in order to really get it. And then intrapersonal means that they um, 
will never get it if they're trying to talk to somebody else. <laughs> so like if you have a kid in public school who despises group work, that kid may be an intrapersonal learner because they do not learn in a group. They're better off doing it themselves. And so understanding your kid's learning style as well as the method mixed in with your family lifestyle, like that's your sweet spot for homeschooling. So there's other styles too, like musical and nature loving, like those are also learning styles, but those are some of the main ones. Well, that's great. And I know that can, that can kind of seem overwhelming as you're listening, thinking, oh, how do I figure all this out? Remember, this show today is basically designed to give you an overview, to give you some things to be aware of, and and as you begin to decide if this is right for you, and as you're if you're if you're leaning down that path, there's a lot of great things you can do with Google. I'm assuming, like, how do I find my child's learning style, or what are the different types of learning styles? So, don't get sure. I'm pretty sure I have a couple of links on my website where you can just click and take like little quizzes or something like that. I'll double check that after we get done today. So. Okay, that sounds good. And we'll be sharing all that in the show notes so everybody can watch for that. Okay, so the next question kind of combined, how and we talked about this, how can we get the pilot involved in the learning process, in the schooling process? And then how do you uh, combine that with their schedule? Yes, so um, when my kids were younger, we used to have um, parent-teacher conferences like once a month at least. And so they would get taken to the principal's office, which is basically a daddy-daughter date. So he would take them out for lunch and he would ask about their schoolwork and they knew that they would be expected to talk about what topic they were learning about, like explain something cool, that something new that they learned, what what were they uh, surprised about at school or what were they not liking and why they weren't liking it. And so it helped him connect with them on a on a one-on-one basis without mom interfering because mom is there all the time all day every day and so sometimes my husband gets jealous of how much time I spend with them and so when he's home I'm constantly like trying to push them out the door with him (laughs) like go do something take them to the park like take them to Sonic for an ice cream you know go go spend time with them. And that can be really challenging, especially now that they are teenagers, like they're 12 and 15. And so um, a lot of kids, I don't, well, just speaking from personal experience, when I hit puberty, my dad stopped taking me hunting. He stopped letting me ride around with him. Like and, and some of that could have been that I was involved in all the things at school. Like I was in every single club. I was in every sport. Like I was constantly going and doing this stuff. But it felt like when I hit puberty, my dad wanted nothing to do with me. And so I am very conscious of that with my own girls going through this stage of their life where I want their dad to be present. I want them to know that they can go to him with questions and concerns. And that starts with school. So if they open up to him about their schoolwork and their homeschooling, they're going to open up to him about other things because that's just the way conversations work. That's the way a relationship develops. And so I am very aware of that and and try to make sure that I am uh, pushing them in that direction because if it was left up to my husband, he would sit on the couch during football season and just watch football and he would totally forget that he's supposed to check in on the kids. Um, an example of that would be that my youngest is we moved into an apartment because we're building out in the country. And so for the next year, we're in this tiny little apartment and my daughter is missing her homeschool co-op. She is missing her friends. And so she, in talking with her cousins for the past couple of months, because they all have cell phones now, this is the first you know school year that they've had cell phones. And now she wants to go to school. She wants to experience that school. She wants a locker. She wants to know what public school is like. All of the anime cartoon shows that she watches take place in a school. She wants to know what that's like. So we have been researching hybrid programs and there are hybrid private school options that are accredited and non-accredited. And there are homeschool um, co-ops where you can take them one or two days a week 
and they get that interaction with other kids and they get that socialization and they feel like they're in school because everybody's learning the same thing, but you're not there Monday through Friday from eight to four. You're, you have time at home as well, which is important for my youngest because she loves to sleep till noon. So it's when she first started talking about this school thing, my husband had no idea until yesterday. And then we, I was talking to him and he's like, wait, 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 wait. When did she decide she wanted to go to school? And I'm like, a couple of months ago. And he's like, oh my gosh, where have I been? And I'm like, well, you've been doing upgrade training. So you've been kind of focusing on studying for that. And that's just the season that you're in. Of course, you're not going to be plugged in to their lives right now because you have to focus on your job. And it's just a couple of months and that's normal and that's fine. And so it's, it's kind of running interference between the kids and him and trying to get them all on the same page. It takes a lot. <laughs> it does. And it's true. It's kind of funny. I shared in just a, early, a slightly earlier podcast about, and I know this is kind of a military term, but it does mostly apply to pilots. Again, nothing stereotypical. So if it doesn't apply to yours, don't, you know, get all bent out of shape, but you know, Pilots, especially compartment, I mean, men in general, but pilots compartmentalize, they have boxes. And when they go to work, you go into a box. That doesn't mean they don't love you. They don't think about you. That doesn't mean you're not a priority, but that's how they get through things. If they have an emergency on the flight, that's how you want them to be, right? They can't be thinking about what's going on here. And I'm sure surgeons are the same way, right? It's, I mean, there's a lot of professions, but that's it. And all of us, you know, depending on how long you've been in the pilot wife life or pilot partner aviation, you know, that training is a big deal and they do compartmentalize and you know, that good communication. I just remember with my kids, just communicating with them. This is where, where dad is right now mentally. And this is why, and if you just talk to kids, they get it. Like they didn't get all bent out of shape or feel anything because we communicated about it and talked Mm -hmm. about it. And that is a huge part of it. And then the other thing that I wanted to say, um, just from my own experience with my daughter, who's 26 now, I I love what you were sharing about like their relationship, because I really do feel like the father daughter relationship is so critical to how they perceive themselves, their expectation of how men will treat them and a lot of that kind of thing. And it is an interesting time when they hit puberty. And I think it is more for men. They're kind of like, Ooh, what should I do now? What shouldn't I do? What's appropriate? What's inappropriate? And I remember my daughter would, for the longest time, would still like snuggle up in my husband's lap, you know, and she, she was later to grow up, if you will. She stayed young for a lot longer time. And, (laughs) but I remember when he said, she doesn't do that anymore. And it kind of broke his heart. You know, he really missed that. So that, that reminds me that love languages Mm -hmm. are a thing because you have to take that into effect too. Because it sounds like your daughter as a, was a physical touch person. Yeah. And then your husband was missing that physical touch, which my youngest is definitely a physical touch girl. And so I will make her go sit on the couch. Her dad's watching football, just snuggle up next to him and start talking. She's like, okay. Yeah. It's so important. You know, a few years ago, my daughter had a horrible, ugly breakup with a boyfriend that was really ugly, really messy, really hurtful to her. And of course she called me immediately and confided in me. But then when we were together with her, I was amazed at how she opened up in front of my husband too, and asked for his opinion and different things. And I remember thinking, this is brilliant. I so love this, that she doesn't feel like, oh, I can, you know, this is something I can only share with girls or women or whatever. That really, really was important. And my husband loved it too, but it was also important for my daughter to feel that safety of being able to just cry, release, share, be who she was with that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's off another track, but I think it's just all part of it of, you know, building that core relationship. So, well, gosh, Amy, you've shared so much. So I know a question will be, um, you know, how do I get started homeschooling? And I know you have some resources, so let's dive into Mm -hmm. that and then we'll find out how we can find you. Yeah. Um, so how to get started homeschooling, you have to look at the requirements for your state. In order to find the legal requirements, you need to go to HSLDA. It stands for Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And it 
like there's a way that you can break it down by state and it tells you exactly what you need to do. If you're in the state of Texas, it is ridiculously easy to homeschool. All you have to do is um, send a letter to the principal and your child's teacher saying, I'm going to withdraw on this date and that's it. You're gonna say that, yes, I have a bona fide curriculum that teaches reading, writing, math, and citizenship. Nobody is ever gonna check that you are doing that. Nobody's gonna check and make sure that your curriculum is following standards. You never have to take your kid in for annual testing, which is a thing in some other states. So um, some other states require you to submit your curriculum to them for review. And so, and they want you to come in once a year to have your child tested to make sure that they're actually learning what you say that they're learning. So you need to go to HSLDA and look at the requirements for your state. And then I also have my website where I have a sample letter of the letter to withdraw if you're in Texas. Um, there's a couple of the learning style quizzes and things like that are on there as well, as well as my contact information. So if you want to do this, but you're super overwhelmed by everything we've talked about today, then just um, hit me up and let me know because I, as a teacher, am really good at breaking it down step-by-step. Step. Okay, this week, this is all you're going to focus on figuring out. Okay, this week, this is all you're going to focus on figuring out. And so um, I'm really good about that. So let me know if you guys need help. I'll bet you are. And thank you. And all of those links, websites, um, the hslda.com, as well as Amy's website will be in the show notes. So make sure you click over to those and you'll just, it'll just be a click away and you can access all that. One last thing I do want to point out is that my 15-year-old um, is in high school, and I know that there's going to be a lot of questions on how to homeschool high schoolers, how to make sure that you're doing it so that you're not like jeopardizing their future opportunities to join um, colleges and different things like that. I am very familiar with the process. My 15-year-old has 27 college credit hours already, and she's taking two more proper tests next week to earn six more hours. Um, there's several different ways to earn college credit, and um, we can talk about how to um, create transcripts and things like that. It's way easier than what you may think it is. So don't let that intimidate you thinking that, oh, elementary sounds fun because we had to play with Play-Doh, but in high school, I'm totally lost. No, don't worry about that. I got you. So that's awesome. Well, Amy, thank you so much. This has been a wealth of knowledge. I know for me, and I'm not even in that age range anymore, but I've learned so much and I'm going to go back in and explore the conscious language again and a lot of that stuff, because I feel like that will help anyone in any relationship, sure. certainly with your children. So thanks so much. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Wow. Today's show was amazing. And I hope you got a lot of great nuggets out of it. Remember that all the links are in the show notes, but a couple of things that I didn't get the chance to circle back around to and ask Amy before we closed is how old was she when she got married? You're going to love this. She was, it was March of her senior year in high school and her husband had just returned from his first deployment, been together since middle school, um, got married with the condition that she had to still live at home and graduate with her maiden name. We'll come back. We'll be re-interviewing her, but you'll get to hear about that. And then another question that I had was with a neck injury like that, how did that affect his ability to get his first class medical for commercial aviation? And no problems there. So if you know someone or, or have a particular injury where you worry about that, that's not always the deal breaker. So again, thanks so much for being on today's show. Stay tuned for how you might be on the show and any suggestions for topics that you have. If you like what you're hearing on the show, grab the Pilot Wife Checklist at pilotwifechecklist.com. And if you have a topic suggestion or a story to share on the show, go to ask.pilotwifepodcast.com. Share the show with any pilot wives, military wives, or anyone in aviation you know who might share and benefit from this similar experience. I'll see you on the journey.